me pause here for just a moment and say, we are a people who have uh, had our our place taken. Amen. Um, The Lord Jesus, in uh, this is something very unique about Christianity. We believe that our God demanded righteousness, and other religions maybe believe that, but we believe that our God did something about it, which is different from other religions. That He Himself took our place uh, when there was when there was. Uh, judgment to be laid when there was justice to be had, um, that our God, he himself, paid the penalty for sins, and that we, as his people, are recipients of grace. And we don't determine it. We are only recipients, and it's, we, we receive it as a, as a gift to us by our great and merciful and loving and kind God. And uh, that's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? Pretty amazing. Let's take a moment and pray together. We'll We'll dismiss kids here in just a minute. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. When we were lost in our sins, when, when we had committed a lifetime of sins against you, and we had tread on your glory and your righteousness and your holiness, and we didn't give you the honor and, and praise that you deserved, we didn't follow your laws, but by nature we, we sinned. By our own nature we, we lied. By our own nature we Uh, We didn't honor you as we should, and we tread on your authority, and we tread on your glory and your name. Um, And at that point, in that state, you sent your son to to take uh, the justice that we deserved, uh, to take the punishment for sin, and uh, that we might be freed from our sin and our guilt, and that you might, by what your scripture says, you might take our sin and remove it from us as far as the east is from the west that we might have relief and, and release of our sin from us, that we wouldn't have to carry our sin and our shame and our guilt anymore. Uh, but because of what Christ did, we can experience your salvation and your goodness and your mercy, and that we might connect with you again like we were created to. So, Father, we, we worship and we honor you this morning. I pray that you would help us to grasp, Lord, just how good and gracious and mighty and powerful and, and uh, omnipotent you are, that we might just marvel at your feet, that we might just be awestruck at who you are and what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow the, follow the lovely Brenda out the back and a couple of lovely girls with her, I guess. All right, as those guys go out, we've been talking about um, the sermon title we've had here, this, the sermon series is, is Becoming, and what I want to talk about is that, is that we are intended to be ever-increasing in, in our reflection of God's glory. Let me put it another way. We're supposed to be, be becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. As we walk in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's supposed to be evident. Amen? We're supposed to be, I'm supposed to look more like Christ this year than I did last year. I'm supposed to look more and more like Him. I'm supposed to act more like Him in my relationships and the love that I show other people and the grace and the mercy that I extend to other people. And it's supposed to affect effect every aspect of my life, yeah? And then every, all God's people said, yes, I'm doing it. I've got it down. It been, hasn't been that difficult for me. I don't know what's wrong with everyone else. It's hard, isn't it? This, this walk, this, this spiritual growth is incredibly difficult. And it, in fact, it seems like maybe the only thing that's very consistent about it with me is my inconsistency. 
You know what I mean? I'm not very good at being very consistent in, in, in looking and becoming and uh, being more and more like Jesus Christ, but uh, we've talked about that in some, some previous times. So uh, everywhere we go, everything we do, every thought we have, every relationship that we're in is supposed to be affected by the work of Christ on the cross. Amen? Do you believe it? Is that true? Yeah. I know when I came to, we were just talking in Sunday school this morning, when I came to, to salvation, when I first came and, and, um, and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I understood my need for forgiveness. You know, I understood that I had sinned and I had a terrible need for forgiveness and I needed this guilt of my sin to be removed from me. You know, everybody been there? Yeah, I, I think that's maybe the way that most of us come to Christ is that we know our guilt and we know our shame and then we know that we can't stop doing the things that we want to stop and start doing the things we want to start and the only place that we can find relief is through Jesus Christ and so that's what drives us to us. But what I didn't realize and maybe what you didn't realize when you became a believer is this would change everything. This, this moment from, this, from that time forward, everything in my life would be affected. And it was a slow process. But let me tell you, I have seen the Lord work righteousness. I hate to use these theological words. I've seen the, the, the Lord use uh, work right um, standing in my life in areas of finance. I've seen him do that in areas of, of me being a father and being a husband and, um, and being even a, a brother and a sister to some of you guys, you know. I've seen him work, and I've seen actually the way that it affects me in dealing with conflict at work, you know. It changed everything, and I had no idea. I thought I was going down to be saved. I didn't know I was going down to have my whole life changed, you know. Uh, but this is the call of Christ. It is uh, that you should take up your cross and follow him daily, every day, right, that, that we follow him. Um, and it's not easy. It's not, it's not something that, that comes naturally to us. Actually, the opposite is true. It comes very naturally for me not to follow Christ. It comes very naturally for me to pick up for myself and be self-centered and, uh, and imposing my own will uh, on, on my wife or on my children or on other people. That comes very naturally to us as, as humans but, uh, because of our sin nature. But here's the deal. Through the cross of Christ, God is restoring a people to reflect his glory. He is restoring people to reflect his glory and to reflect his image. And he's accomplishing it all through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit's work in us through a little theological word we call sanctification, right? Okay, so how do we do it? How does it happen? How do we begin to reflect the glory of Christ in, in every increasing measure, like the Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians? How do we do that? Um, and we talked about the very first thing is, the very first thing that we have to do is you have to reflect and you have to contemplate and you have to meditate on Jesus Christ. You have to remember what he's done. If you want to be like him, you have to remember what he's like. And it, so it comes to uh, uh, whenever you read Paul's teaching and you open up in Ephesians, he says, love like Jesus Christ. Forgive each other just as God through Jesus Christ forgave you. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands as you would submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, children, obey your, your parents in the Lord. 
Slaves, obey your masters. All of this over and over again. Listen, here's the thing that's really amazing is that in every case, Paul didn't write, you're supposed to be better than this. You're supposed to do better than this. You people are supposed to be loving people and you're just not doing it. He doesn't say that, that our motivation, that our, our, the, the, the thing that, that makes us do these things is that we're just supposed to be better people. He says, remember what Jesus Christ did for you and that ought to change every relationship you have. You remember what Jesus Christ did for you, and you, there should be nothing in your life that you can't forgive with God's help. <laughs> right? Uh, he says, uh, you remember Christ's generosity in leaving everything and leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth and being born like a, like a servant here, and, and, and that should make you a more generous person. But you reflect, and you remember, and you meditate on Jesus Christ, and that will change every aspect of your life. Every relationship is supposed to be affected by it, and every aspect and every relationship and every thought will be affected by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of sanctification, is by remembering and meditating and reflecting on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? All right. I, uh, uh, Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles with you. If not, we'll have it on the screen. Be good for you to see, though. Um, you know, I got to uh, I got to spend a little time yesterday morning. Clay and I get together and pray together, and um, we got I got to we got to open up, and I got to tell him I've just been kind of blown away by these verses here this week, and we just kind of went through it, and I don't know what kind of Clay came around or away from, but you know, as we contemplated, really contemplated the omnipresence and omniscience of God, the all. Um, God's being everywhere and God's being all-knowing. As we contemplated that, I, I just sat there, and as, after we finished, there was a long pause of silence. Now we're men. There are often long pauses of silence, right? I mean, yeah, anyway, I, I won't say any more than that. But um, uh, as, as we finished, I was just kind of awestruck, and I think he was too, as, as we just had contemplated the greatness of God, and we just sat there after we talked about it for a while and just, you know, we just kind of nodded and, hmm. You know, there's a lot of that. We're just a little bit awestruck by it all, and, and thank God for that. We should be awestruck when we see the nature and the glory of our God. But uh, here we go. Let's start here, and, uh, and we'll talk about how we're, where, we're, where, where I'm going, where we're going. Um, Psalm 139, we're going to read uh, verses about 1 through 16 here. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Now, here we go. The whole rest of this chapter is going to be about how God knows us, all right? So put on your seatbelts. Here we go. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. Let's, let's pause there for just a moment. We're going to walk through just a little bit. He begins by saying, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And then here he's going to break down the whole rest of this thing is going to be about how the Lord knows, us, knows, knows him. And so he says here, you know when I sit and when I rise. Now, you know, I, I, the first time I'd read through that, I was like, okay, God knows, and God knows. And then God knew, and he knew. But it's more than that, right? <laughs> it's more than just sitting and rising. When I think about going to do something, when I think about what I'm going to pursue, when I think about what I'm going to do, God knew it already. He knows the pursuits of my life. He knew when I'm going to get up and do something, he knows what pursuits, what things that I have in my life that, I, that I'm focusing on, the things that I intend to do, he knows it, right? That's not hidden from him. 
but that's not all. Um, he perceives our thoughts from afar. He knows our every pursuit. He knows our every thought. And look with me in verse 3. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. All right. So before I can speak, the Lord knows my words. That's pretty good um, omniscience, isn't it? Before I speak, before I can even verbalize something, God already knows what I'm thinking. Let me tell you what the author is going to be getting at here, what he's, what he's writing here. He says, are you ready for this? He said, God, you know me far beyond my knowledge of me. You know me better than I do, right? Which is kind of a, maybe a scary thought at times, but um, anyway, let's, let's continue. Every word before it's uttered, God knows it. In verse 5, it says, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Let me pause there for just a minute. You know what? We're just, let's just take these one at a time. You, ha- you hem me in behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. What he's saying here is that he's hemmed me in behind and before, and he's laid his hand on me. It means that we can't escape God's God's knowledge and his, and, his, and his hand over us. That He lovingly covers our lives with knowledge of us, right? Okay, so here's one of the things that this means is that we can go nowhere without God's hands lovingly laid on us, knowing where we're going, knowing where we've been, all the time lovingly knowing what's going on in our lives. Okay, this is important for us to know. When there's something horrible going on in your life, and you wonder where God is, you never have to doubt that he knows what you're going through. He knows already. Yeah. Before you could utter the words to tell him, he already knew. True? No matter how horrific, no matter how abandoned you and I might feel, he knows already where we've been, he knows where we're going, and his hand is covering us right the entire time. That's, that's the knowledge of God over us. Verse uh, 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Uh, verse 6, he's saying, your knowledge is too wonderful. That word for wonderful often refers to God's wondrous acts or his miracles. He says, this knowledge is, is miraculous. It's like your miraculous works for me. It's too lofty for me to, to attain. I can't even fathom it all. And if you'll think for, with me for just a second, every human being on earth, God knows their thoughts before they do. Every human being on earth, he knew where they were coming from and where they were going Every one of us, he knows and understands, okay, better than we do. That's incredible understanding, isn't it? That's an incredible knowledge, but that is the knowledge of God. And here, instead of, uh, it's, it's really great psalm, isn't it? Instead of describing God's omniscience by like some uh, really lame definition, he says, you know everything about me. I can't go anywhere that you don't know. I can't come from some place that you don't understand. I can't be going somewhere that you don't already know where I'm going. You know it all. You understand me better than I do. Uh, let's continue in verse 7. Where can I go from it? Now he's going to talk. He's been talking about God's knowledge. Now he's going to move to God's not om, uh, uh, omniscience, but now he's going to talk about his omnipresence. That means God is everywhere, all right? In verse 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So what's he saying there? In the very vertically, very, as high up as I can go, God is there. As very low as I can go, God is there. His spirit and his presence is there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, if I go laterally, if I go horizontally, if I go far east and west, God is there. Uh, every 
there, I'm sorry, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. That's an important thing. It's not just that God is there and his presence is there and his spirit is there, but he is there to what? To guide, to hold us fast. Yeah? This is important too. There's nowhere that you can go that God cannot grab hold of you. And let me say something here really quickly before we go too far. There is no sin that you can wander off in that God cannot redeem you. Uh, Did you hear me? There is no sin, there is no darkness, and we're going to get into darkness here in just a moment, but there is nowhere that you can go that God cannot bring you back and hold you firm. Amen? You are not lost forever, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how long you've been gone. God always has the ability to meet you there and to bring you back. Amen? Amen. All right. And not just us, but those, <laughs> here's the deal too, is that well, there are people around us that we think, man, that guy's so far as from salvation, uh, they're just never going to find God. Not so. Not so. We need to stop viewing people as being so far lost that they're gone uh, and start seeing people as they have the ability. God has the ability to save them. Him, our, his arm is not too short, right? You don't have to grow up a good Baptist kid to be saved, right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, in verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. All right. Um, not only does creation not have a hiding place for us, even the darkness cannot hide us from God. Even the darkness cannot hide us from God. Even the depth of sin, even the depths of despair cannot hide us from God. He knows, he is there, and he can see because he is light. And we know this about light, it dispels darkness, right? Maybe the reason he created light and darkness so that we could understand him a little bit better. Interesting thought. Okay, but let's continue. So even in the depths of despair, even in the most desperate time that you've ever had, God was there and in your darkness it was nothing to him. It was not like he couldn't get there. He's like, oh, no, I can't go there. It's too dark. No, when light steps into darkness, the darkness is dispelled. Yeah. And even in those places in your life, even in great tragedy, even in horrible sin, even in horrible dark places and dark faces of your life, you are not completely separated by God. He can find you there. Yeah. It's important to know. All right, let's continue. Um, in verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Let me, yeah, here we go. In, in, in verse, uh, verse 13, this is really fascinating stuff. You created my inmost being. This is fascinating. When you and I talk about this, um, inmost being, he's not talking about just the, the author is writing about our, our heart, uh, but he's not just talking about that. He's talking about our emotions and our, our morality, the, th- the way that we're wired, he's talking about. And he says that God created me in the inmost part. All right, let me, this is kind of funny. Um, when the Hebrews and the Hebrew um, mindset, the, 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 the center of the emotions and the will were in the kidneys. Anybody know that? Yeah. We're in the kidneys. And so this word is literally kidneys in the Hebrew. Uh, you, you created my kidneys. But we would translate it today maybe if, we're, if we were trying to stay with the, the, the really literal words, is that you created my heart. 
Right? You created my heart. The thing that we in this society, you know, your, 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 your heart really is just a vessel. There's no emotions there, right? It all comes from our brains. But anyway, we, we talk about our heart that way, right? We have brave heart, you know, uh, that great story of uh, brave heart, that great movie. Um, and, and we talk about, you know, when someone hurts you, they've broken your heart, which is kind of funny if you think about it because then, you know, back in Hebrew days, it would have been brave kidney. And, um, and you've broken my kidneys. Um, which is kind of funny. But anyway, uh, let's move on. What, what he's saying is that, is that, God, you've created my emotions, my, my moral sensitivities, my personality. You've woven it together inside of me. Okay. Uh, so l- l- let me pause there for just a moment. I brought some stuff here uh, to, to, to tell us. So, so God would create you, and he would say, this is going to be, this is going to be a, a person with some sensitivity. They're going to be sensitive, kind of a sensitive spirit. And then I'm going to put in there also, uh, they're going to have a real heart for service. Um, but they're not necessarily going to be very wise, right? And that's you. Yeah? And then he goes and he says, well, I'm going to create a David, and he's going to be, you know, kind of a rugged, outdoorsy kind of a looking fella. <laughs> strapping, no, I'm kidding, uh, and he creates me, and he puts the pieces together just like he determines, and he builds in us the person that he wants us to be, and he puts us all together, and he says, this now is uh, Clay Robinson, and he formed our inmost parts. Your personality and your emotions did not come about by accident, right? You were created this way. Uh, all right, let's continue. Um, uh, your, your, so your likes, your dislikes, your strengths, your weaknesses, your interests, all your interests were all created by God. Now continue with me in verses 14 and 15. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderf- wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, all the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Uh, what's it say there in verse, uh, verse 16? All the days of my life were what? Ordained by God. Okay? All of them were written in God's books. He had determined before I was even formed how long I should live. So he created my emotions, my personality, he created all of that, and he determined my days, yeah, and yours, yeah. All right, now let's flip over, if you would please, to Acts chapter 17. We're going to kind of continue this thought. Um, really very briefly here, um, the Apostle Paul is going through a missionary journey, and he happens upon Athens, and Athens is this place where literally they have temples on every corner to celebrate this god or that god or the other god, and uh, they, had, they had gods of the sky, they had gods of the sea, they had gods of fungus, I kid you not, they had gods of all these sorts of things, there were gods of, of, uh, of, of all of this stuff. And um, beginning in verse 22, let's read, because Paul's going to speak to them. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
what had happened here is that they had so many gods in so many places, but that they didn't want to offend a god that they had maybe left out. And so they had even an altar to the god that maybe they forgot or didn't know about. So that was the altar to an unknown god. Now what you are, now, I'm sorry, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. A just brilliant, obviously brilliant sermon here. He's taken where they are, even in their fallen uh, nature in, in worshiping multiple gods. Paul says, let me reveal to you who this God that you failed to worship is. The God, in verse 24, who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Let me pause there for a moment. What he's saying here is that you worship all these gods that are supposed to be over these different realms, but he said, let me tell you, there is a God who created all of this, and he is the Lord over all. Amen. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. In Athens, they would have to come, and they would wash their God down, and they would serve their God, and they would raise money for their God, and they would build a temple for their God. And Paul looks at it, of course, and kind of maybe laughs a little bit and says, the God, if you really serve a God, he doesn't need to be served. Yeah, if, there, if he really is a God, he wouldn't need to be served because our God, who is the Lord of heaven and earth and who did create all of this, does not live in temples and is not served by human hands because instead of people giving him stuff, he gives all men, what? Life and breath and everything else. Everything you have is God's. Yeah, that's a little part of sanctification right there, isn't it? Being able to let go and realize that it's all his, not mine. All right, but anyway, that's not the point of the sermon today. Verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And, that, and he determined, listen to this, he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. All right, so let me pause there for just a moment. So God, here, this is now, this has been, you know, this was us here a while ago. But not only that, he also decided that, that you know, I'm going to have Janae Robinson to be born when you were born. 1993, and she's going to live in that era. And I'm going to place her because God determined the time and the place. I'm going to place her. Where are you born? Were you and I went at the time? Portalis, the lovely town of Portalis. I'm going to have her born in Portalis. Uh, and I, I'm going to, he's determined the time and determined the place that each one of us should live. And he's going to bring in contact with her some other people. There's going to be people at the same time, and they're going to, they'll be in Canyon, and, and he's going to bring other people together. And so the Norman family is also in Canyon, and he's going to bring them together. And then also not only that, but, but the Crumps, they're going to go to college in, at, in Canyon, and they're all going to come together here at, at Canyon because God has determined the time and the place that they should all live, and he's placed us together. Let me tell you something really quickly about that. That means, I uh, you know what, I'm sorry, we've got to get to the next verse. Let's do that. Listen to what it says. Why, okay, let me ask you first. Why in the world would God be so specific? Let me jump up and down. Because he had a purpose for you and for me. Amen? I feel sorry for the atheists and the agnostics, Right? The atheists and agnostics said, this is all by chance. There's no reason for any of it. It was all random. But in truth, it was for a purpose. God 
did this. You know, there are so few places like this in the Scripture. I'm sorry, I'll get to it, I promise. There are so few places like this in the Scripture that just lay it out like this. I love the Apostle Paul. He just lays it out here. Why did God determine that not only would he create us with a particular personality and a particular bent, but also he would determine the days ordained for us, but he would also determine the times and the places we should live? And it says, very next verse, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. You get it? You see it? Why would God put us together at a particular time? Because he wants us to seek him and perhaps reach out for him and then find him. Isn't that fantastic? Let me tell you, uh, let me tell you a quick story and I want, because I want you to think about your story in my life, I grew up, uh, we, lived, we, we grew up here in Canyon and moved to Booker. Um, my, uh, my, my church experience, my spiritual experience at that time, I was only about nine or ten whenever we moved, but I knew good uh, Christian uh, folks. We, we were at First Baptist in that time whenever we were here in Canyon. And I remember uh, Pastor Jim Hancock and a lot of his teaching. Uh, Lord bless him. And then we went and moved to Booker, and we went through a series of pastors there. But, but there was one man in particular that had an incredible influence on my life there. is was, was our pastor, Ray Adams. He was over a small church about the size of our church. And, uh, and Ray had, was a single guy, and he had a lot of time for us uh, junior high and high school kids, high school kids, I guess, in particular. He had a profound impact on my life. The, his teaching, his leading, his understanding about God uh, he had an incredible impact on, on, on my life. And uh, not only that, but I had two buddies while we were there. It was Eric and Ryan Sanders, uh, a couple of really great guys. Uh, but anyway, uh, makes me smile every time I think about him. He, we went to youth camp together and stuff, and I tell you, we were, we were eaten up with trying to understand the Word of God better. And so we would read together, and sometimes uh, you know, we would break, this is, uh, this is probably real bad, but we would break curfew at church camp so we could stay up and wor- read the Word together. I, I know that sounds incredibly dorky, but we would stay up, and, and we would read the Word together, and we would, you know, with flashlights, we'd be in there, and then the you know, counselors would come in, and we'd kill the lights and pretend like nothing was happening. But, uh, but we, we really saw the, the Lord really put a hunger for, with us uh, for the Word together, and just through that encouragement together, I learned a great deal of Scripture in a very short t- period of time, not by any teachers, but, but that we were all trying to understand it better, and we would read things and we'd like, what does this mean? What do you think this means? And we just, they're, they're reading together. And then I come, came to college and, and there would be a man there named Buddy Young and there would be a family here at Calvary named Ron and Vicki Whit um, who taught me to to grow and to, and to live out my faith as an adult. And God did this so that I might reach out for him and to seek him and perhaps to, to even to find him and to draw me closer to himself. If you're a believer, you have a similar story, don't you? And may I tell you this morning, it was all ordained by God. Desiring your heart and desiring your life and desiring to restore the connection that was lost at the fall, he placed people in your life and he placed people around you that we might seek him and perhaps even reach out for him and find him. Because he desires us. I tell you this morning, he desires you. You are here this morning, perhaps not by accident. 
You're here this morning because God has ordained and planned and put all of this together. Now, you know, you think about that doing in one life. Think about God doing this in the life of five billion, six billion people. That's the sovereignty of God. That's his power and omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence. He has it all. He is truly sovereign. And he gives you a choice this morning, perhaps. Do you know him? He's put you in a place, he's let you rub elbows with people who are believers so that you too might reach out for him and find him, perhaps. Is that you this morning? Just a moment, I'm going to give a very brief altar call, but before we do that, here's what I want to say to all of you who are believers here this morning. Just like you're the one who had received all the benefit of being rubbed, having rubbed elbows with other believers and how they've helped you to find God, you and I are supposed to do for other people. You and I are supposed to be the people who come alongside and encourage brothers and sisters and to help others find faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen to me. It is no accident that you are working where you work. It is no accident that you're interested in, in that you're a motorhead or that you're into karate or that you love history or any of those things. It is though so that you can rub elbows with other people who love history and are you know gearheads and 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 have what other what other things that interest you interest other people. It is so that God may bring you in contact with them and that by some way through your relationship with them that you might help them reach out and seek him and find him. Amen? It's not that difficult. We make it so hard. We make it so intimidating. But it's not that hard, is it? It's not that hard. God's ordained it, that you might work where you work, that you might have an impact on the people around you. Amen? That you live where you live, in the, in the place you live, in a dorm, dorm, in an apartment, in a neighborhood, in a home. That you might live where you live to have an impact on the people around you. And that God might use you for a purpose. Amen? To reach out to those people around you and help them find the same path that you found. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. I need to let you guys out of here, but let's pray for just a moment. I want to ask you this morning, if you've not come to the place, if God has been ordaining, and you can see it in your life perhaps this morning even, that God has been bringing you to the point uh, of coming to faith in him because he's been bringing you into relationship with other people, because he's been pointing you in the right way by bringing other people around you, and their faith has been an encouragement to you, listen, it is no accident. God has ordained it. And God has determined that he desires you too. Would you come to him this morning? I'm going to give just a very, very brief call this morning. If that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to come forward. Would you come this morning and you can pray with me and you can meet the living God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and you can know him Uh, like the people around you have known him and you can know the God that they know and you can be have the peace that they have and you can have the security that they have and you can have the release from sins that they have and the forgiveness that they have you can experience all of that because our God is gracious and he's ordained it for you all right let's take just a moment If, if that's you this morning would you come would you come and just offer your life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I know that you've been pursuing me, and now, Lord, I just want to say, I, I want you in my life. It's, if that's you this morning, would you just come, come forward, and, and I'd love to pray with you and, and ask the Lord to come into your life, and to re- he will uh, forgive you of your sins and, and guide you all the days of your life.